Well, the best way that I learned is to teach. So I started to put all the things I was learning into framework strategies that I could share with other people. And I thought, why not share them on LinkedIn? So I put out my first post and it got like 15,000 views. And I was like, wow, that's pretty interesting. <laughs> we look at today's state. It's really never been easier to build a SaaS product. And so there's thousands of solutions coming out all the time. And as a whole, you have to find ways to stand out. And so you try to over-impress them, hoping that something's going to land and that they'll want to continue their engagement. But that's obviously not the right way to go. Good morning, good evening, good afternoon to everyone who's listening to us. Welcome to Thrivecast. Today's topic is pretty interesting. How can PLG activation drive better customer retention? It's a very complex topic, and that's why we thought we need to get the best from the industry to help us on this. So we have Yakov Carmo, and he and I have connected several times before. And if anyone's watching on YouTube, you'll notice him wearing his traditional beige Steve Jobs wear. He has become very efficient in wearing similar clothes. His morning routines are now very easy. He lives in Israel. Thankfully, he's back to work now, back in Jerusalem district. He's got a baby who's now sleeping well after all the recent humdrum that happened in Israel. And to most of the listeners, you might know Yakov very well. He's been a master of the PLG visuals. He's probably the most advanced PLG visual graphic person that I've seen who's able to explain PLG visually. Uh, his memes, especially on acquisition and activation, have broken the internet a couple of times. He's now known as probably the most prolific expert in the PLG activation onboarding space. He advises many companies. He's been working in the space for quite some time. He's a founder of Valuable, runs a newsletter called as Product-Led Growers. And recently, I had a chance to interact with him on his new venture around the Product-Led Onboarding OS, which is self-coursework. Maybe we'll start from that. So welcome, Yakao. How are you? Thank you for having me here today. It's awesome to be here. I'm doing great. Yeah. Really cool and excited to be recording this with you. Same here. Yakov, before we jump into other things, tell us a little about your attire that you have. You're like the beige Steve Jobs, very efficient in, in terms of dressing. Tell us why you've taken that particular lifestyle, if you will. Sure. I, I'm definitely no Steve Jobs copying that method, but I guess just like with product and activation and adoption, the less decisions you have to make, the better. So it definitely makes my day a lot easier. And I will say wearing a button up and wearing more formal clothing allows me to feel more like a CEO <laughs> rather than I'm just chilling. And so that's a great way to get your day started, set the tone. Very efficient in activation in that case. <laughs> Embodiment of efficiency there. So, Yakov, for our listeners, could you tell us a little bit about your background and how did you get into the PLG journey and how did you choose that activation is your forte? Yeah, sure. So, my background is actually in sales. I was the first sales hire for two early stage SaaS startups and very much traditional cold outbound sales it was building out funnels and cold calling, email sequences. And one of the companies that I was working with shifted. We actually had a side product that hit the market and started getting thousands of signups every month. And we completely cut sales. The company didn't want me to leave. I didn't want to leave. And so I actually, my first role transition was into an analyst position. 
So that was where I started to get exposed to things like Mixpanel. And I was also running support at early stage startup. You're doing a million things. So I was setting up Intercom for support, replying to tickets, also looking at the analytics and also being a middleman between product and engineering now. So I was learning everything around how the user was experiencing the product, which was awesome because I had that exposure to actually hearing the voice of the customer through support, but then also having that more static data perspective from looking at the analytics. Then the role kind of transitioned into getting more into strategy. And as I was learning, it was a really cool experience. The startup that I was working at, everyone was involved in learning. So we were passing around books, we were looking at courses, and we were sharing all our learnings. The best way that I learn is to teach. So I started to put all the things I was learning into framework strategies that I could share with other people. And I thought, why not share them on LinkedIn? So I put out my first post and I got 15,000 views and I was like, wow, that's pretty interesting. So I put out another one and I got 80,000 views. So I was like, there's something here. And it was, again, as you said, in the form of a really simple visual. And I found that there was so much theory out there and complex strategies and everyone, like PLG was a, a buzzword, but no one really understood how to apply it in different contexts. And so that's what I set out to do, just make it really simple. And I was still working full time for the company. But as I started getting more people reaching out from around the world saying, can you help out with the workshop here? Do you have advice here? I realized this was a real pain point. And in January, I decided I'm going to go all in. And so I left my full-time role and decided to go full-time advising and then started to explore the world of solopreneurship as a creator as well and just learning more, teaching more. And yeah, that's been my journey so far. I'm continuously learning, connecting with more people in the space. And each company I work with really unlocks a whole new level of understanding. Yeah, compliments to you. There's a new solopreneur trend that's happening. I think yourself, Elena Verna, Justin Welsh, so many other folks, even Ben Williams has now gone into that area. So compliments on that. That's an amazing way to think about it. And to, to the listeners, you don't become... Yakao. Just you wake up in the morning and you become an expert like Yakao. I think just like what he's done, tried various things, figured out analytics, figured out this, figured out sales, and then he's uh, found his forte. So I think that's a great learning there. So Yakao, let me jump into maybe the first question that I have for you today, which is around PLG. Why is PLG becoming more important? Meaning, let me take maybe a backseat. What do you see as the market trends for PLG and SLG, is PLG here to stay? Before you explain that, maybe could you help maybe give a quick speed of what is PLG to our audience and then touch upon that subject? Yeah, for sure. So the way I like to define PLG, and it's really the traditional definition I used to give was from OpenView, where product-led growth is a strategy that leverages the product as the primary driver of acquisition, retention, and monetization. And the way I use it in my own words now, thinking of it as that each department is really the exact same, but now they've got the superpower of the product experience to leverage, to empower each of their roles and their desired targets mm -hmm. that they're trying to achieve. And so it's not just a product thing, it's the company strategy. So everyone is thinking how they can leverage the product to boost what they're trying to do in the company. So. Customer success is going to think, how can they change the product experience to make users 
increase their adoption without needing so many touch points. Sales is going to think of self-servable monetization. And it, this works in all areas. And so I would say it's a company strategy in which you're trying to use the product to boost all of your efforts. And I think before looking at why PLG is such a hype at the moment, even with all the hate that it gets, it's like an up and yeah. down constantly. But if we look at today's state, it's really never been easier to build a SaaS product. And so there's thousands of solutions coming out all the time. And as a whole, you have to find ways to stand out. And so everyone is looking for ways, whether it's changing up the traditional sales model, whether it's growth hacking, all these different marketing tactics, but you have to find a way to stand out. And one of the most potent and effective ways is to actually get people to experience solving their problem. And so that's what PLG allows for that self-servable problem solving. And so get people into your product to show them rather than tell them, get them to actually experience it for themselves. Because on an average day, you're probably getting 10 to 50 outbound random emails saying, this is the solution for you. This is the best thing to solve all your problems. But it's very rare that you're actually going to engage with them. But when you find, when you look for a solution or you get told about a solution and you can straight away test it out, see the value and do it by yourself, that unlocks a whole new acquisition channel. And so I think everyone is struggling to grow because of this increase in the number of competitors and just the, the state of the market. And so this is one of the most uh, effective ways to increase the acquisition, but it's not just a growth hack like other things. It's actually a complete redesign of the company strategy. And, and that being said, with the access we have to the overflowing amounts of data and really being able to engage with users on such a deep level without ever having that human interaction, that's something that we are able to leverage to create a self-serve experience. And that's a very good way to put it. I don't think you've nicely put it. You're not going by the industrial definition. But I was actually enamored by some of your visuals around this particular space. And maybe we'll touch upon that in the next question. But here's my take on why I've been loving your post as much. Right? So there was this post that almost about maybe six months back or so I saw that you had posted about most of the companies out there are showing all the features you had this particular visual you had all these features and small boxes on the screen and then you throw all those features to the customers to the users and the entire kitchen sink at them and then figure out okay hey now go try to use it that hit my nerves and hey I, i've been doing that for such a long time I've been in the b2b SaaS space for such a long time and we've been trained to do something of that sort for a very long time because hey the product was not supposed to educate the product was supposed to solve a problem and there was another department out there which was supposed to educate either the sales guys or the csm team or the onboarding and that hit my nerve when you showed that why customers are finding it extremely difficult to do it that way and anyone who's brings together a plg a very simple way to acquire very simple way to activate potentially have a good win there could you touch a little bit about why are SaaS companies doing that, meaning they're failing at the activation, they're showing all the features, what's behind it, and what are the trends that you're seeing in that particular space? Why is activation yeah. that difficult, and how can someone solve it? Yeah, for sure. This is one of my favorite points. I coined this as the insecure product trap, and I think 
it comes from my experience with sending cold emails and cold calling is that when my first experience and I was a complete beginner, the natural thing to do is to share more than you need to because you really want them to reply and you really want to continue the conversation. And so what you're going to do is you're going to tell them everything that could impress them. And so you try to over-impress them, hoping that something's going to land and that they'll want to continue the, the engagement. But that's obviously not the right way to go. And so actually being able to like hone in on that skill by creating prospecting emails or a really good cold calling script where you're hitting the nail on the head with one pain point and one deliverable of value, that's where you're able to see that you have to be really specific. And the same thing applies with product. I think there's two main reasons here. The first one is that insecurity is that companies really want to prioritize every sign up. And so they want to make sure that they get a positive experience and they think that it'll be better. Let me show them everything. I'm going to wow them, but it actually just overwhelms the user. And second is because they don't really know exactly how to personalize the use case, because what do they cut out? What are they meant to show them? I think once you have a clear direction, and this is the foundation of where I start with companies and this is the starting point in this new course that I made the product at onboarding OS who are they what do they want and so instead of working with all these fancy ICP frameworks I boiled it down to just this simple question of why did they sign up if you can figure that out that really reveals their job to be done it reveals what they want to experience right now and the quicker they experience value in the product the more likely they are to engage and explore further and so it's really important to be very specific about who you want to impress and how you impress them. And then there's techniques on how do you get that information because you're not on the call with them. So you have to figure this out without having that human touch point. And that where it falls into all different techniques of how to personalize without that interaction. And I think that's really the basis of a self-servable motion is that there's going to be different kinds of customers coming in. And even if your product is simple and it, you claim it has one use case. It, it always will have different ways that users want to experience even that one use case. And so I think the most important thing is being able to understand your users and know what different types of users want. I think that's beautifully put. And, and that's going back to the visual that I had in my head as well when you spoke about it. I was talking to uh, somebody last week or so, and they mentioned about Activation is like impressing a girl, right? If you show them an entire CV, they're not going to be impressed with the girl. You need to have a hook to it. You need to be able to captivate their attention on one or two specific points. And you can't do that without knowing them well enough. If you throw an entire kitchen sink at them, in this case could be a resume or a CV, then you're not going to captivate their attention. They're going to walk away. And maybe that's why most B2B SaaS companies are failing at PLG in the very first place because they are not designing their product to be self-serve activated, if I can call it that way, is because they're just throwing all the kitchen sink at them. I've seen traditional B2B SaaS products where you have a left eye bar and you throw the entire kitchen sink at that once without actually taking them through a journey, right? And this concept of journey that hey, you sign up, you ask them, hey, what's your intent is? And then you take them through the journey of that particular intent on how to accomplish that goal. It's new. This is you know, as new as maybe in the last three, four years time. And only some of the companies who have attempted to go the PLG route have 
been deeply invested in that space, but the rest of the industry is still to catch up on that. My question to you here is that if that is the case where you want to know the customers, I'm, I'm now trying to peel the layers of the onion that you mentioned, know your customers well enough, uh, ask them very explicitly what their intent is and take them on the journey. Why is it still difficult? If that was so simple, why are still SaaS companies failing at activation? Well, I think there's the funny truth that a lot of companies will invest in this in a very passive way and they won't actually create dedicated time to speak to the users and come up with realistic expectations and definitions of what users want. So they don't really hear how users articulate that. And so even if they've created these specific user segments, they're coming from the perspective of the product. And so mm. even though you'll see the questions they ask in the onboarding flow will be very specific to what kind of features do you want to use and the different unlocks in the product, but they're not getting to know the user and using that to work backwards. And so that's a key thing that I try to educate people on is that first understand the different variables that are attached to the user segment. So you'll have the reason they signed up and then you want to look at starting from the basics. What's their role? What's their intent? What's their company size? And you'll see that the best companies leverage that information backwards. So they don't go from the product to the user. They take that user information and then they translate that into being able to personalize the user journey. So that will look like where a company is asking what kind of company are you coming from? Canva is a great example because they ask one question and get this so right. They literally just ask, what are you going to be using Canva for? And the six options are, I'm a small business, a personal user, a, a larger company. And based on that one question, which is coming from the perspective of the user, which is again, easier for the user to understand how to answer, then the entire product experience is shifted, the templates, the outcomes that happen in that user journey all based on that one question. And some tools need more of a perspective. So a tool like Zapier asks what kind of tools they want to connect and they can choose one to five and then it gives them personal zaps that they can choose from it. It gives them a huge boost to get started. All of these kind of variables that we traditionally use as just data points for marketing or for just data analysis can really be translated back into the product experience so easily. But I think people just on taking advantage of this. So what you're saying is, <laughs> this is funny, it's going in my head. What you're saying is you are asking the right questions and the product should ask the right questions to know the user and actually use the answers that they, that they tell you. And I have, this is very new. This is pretty blasphemous. Most of the times that you throw in some user forms to them to know about, hey, tell me your name, your industry and this and that. And people think that, hey, that's just for us to collect uh, segmentation information, but not to personalize. And I think what you're trying to say is you collect only information that you need to, to personalize and not necessarily to segment behind the scenes. And it's you're, important you're to let the user know that, that what you'll see in all of these companies that do use the information. And I've tested this with a company I work with, mm -hmm. adding a one liner, a subheading saying, we're going to use this answer to personalize your next steps or your experience. And mm. it actually resonates with people. They get the sense of, oh, you're doing this for me, not you're trying to take something from me. And we saw like an, an increase of, I think, close to 10% in people that took that action because they understood the context. 
Okay, let's maybe build upon that, right? So let's start with maybe you take one small early stage startup company. They are trying to go into the PLG space. They have decided at the leadership level, that's a good strategy for them to have rather than go the SLG route in the beginning, they go PLG first. It's a very simple vertical product, let's assume, and which means that they are only targeting one or two personas. So what you're saying is you ask about that, which persona it is, and then take them through the journey. Okay, I think that's maybe that's pretty apparent in the last. But what happens if they now start adding multiple products or multiple features? There's an urge within inside the company from a product team itself that, hey, my feature that I'm building needs to get activated. So they try to insert themselves back again into the activation flow. And I've seen this happen like several times, at least in the last maybe six months or so. They start building something simple and then they add more and more features. And then they try to say, hey, let me ask that question to the customer. Would you be interested in taking that? And again, over two to three months time, activation again becomes a kitchen sink. They are now asking, unlike Canva, I'll say, hey, here's one question and I'll give you six templates. It usually turns out to, would you like to have this feature? Would you like to have this feature? Would you like to have this feature? And so forth. Uh, the entire personalization goes away. So what would you recommend? Maybe if you can describe this, if in early stage company, if you have something like this, and if you want to add a new feature or a new module or whatever that might be, this is how you need to think about it. Is there a framework to think about it? Where I'm seeing that's probably the stumbling block in making that happen. Any thoughts on what you're seeing out there? Yeah, so there's three things that I'd try to answer, three perspectives. First one is there was a visual I created showing like a flow diagram. And the first thing, the mistake was introducing your company's innovation before you've solved for the reason they signed up. And this is why, again, I categorize everything by the reason they signed up because they are coming in with a preconceived notion of what they want to experience. And so it's very nice that you have a great feature that you want to expose them and even if it will impress them, but it's not why they're there. And so there'll be some sort of cognitive dissonance when that's not experienced and a value gap already starts to be built. And so that value gap is the second perspective where depending on what you're marketing, often companies will market one thing and their landing page will be expressing, even if it's very in line with the reason why the, the user is wanting to sign up. But then when they land in the product, they're introducing other features. And so that creates this confusion where mm. their perceived value of the product doesn't match up to their experience value because it's just not what they were looking for, even if it would be something that they want. And the third thing is, again, once a user gets the sense that your product can help them, they're going to be open to everything else they can do. And so those first few steps, and this is one of the reasons why I've been doubling down on helping companies with specifically onboarding and activation, is it's really the biggest halt in your growth if you don't solve for this where their first experience is everything. When you are comparing to a sales model, you have the whole process of the POC and every sales call is one step closer to them understanding and experiencing what they're after. But when they're signing up and this is their first engagement, you want it to be as simple as possible. You, you can't throw everything at them. And so you want to just help them with what they want to experience. And then if they are the right fit, they'll be open to everything you have to show them after because they had a positive first impression. 
could you maybe uh, help me with the following question? Let's say they build something like what you said. They have the connection from the landing page, meaning if they are showing some value on the landing page, let's say how they have different landing page for different use cases and the user comes in from a landing page, what you're saying is take that context because that's the context that they have. The reason that they came in is with that context. Don't ask them again. Maybe default that saying that, hey, this is probably what you came to do because that's where you came in from. To use that context. I think the second thing that you mentioned about is you log the reason why they signed up and then don't ignore that part. Right? Constantly keep on trying to personalize it based on why they signed up. And I think you had a visual around that some time back on ask them explicitly, don't assume specific use cases. I think the next thing that you asked is get them to use one portion of your product and only then they'll be usually open for either upselling or try out, trying out various features. Uh, so maybe let's jump to the last part, which is let's say they have now accomplished and early stage companies, I'm trying to maybe get this in front of the early stage companies. If they have built some basic PLG activation flows and the users are now using one portion of the product and they want to now upsell other features within the product. What you are saying is that upsell itself now has its own flow. Is that right? Yeah, I would say just like the grouping of why they signed up is really just a cover for understanding what they want to experience right now. And so once they've been engaging with the product, you actually have much more to work with. So you should be looking at how deep their adoption is, what kind of features they're using, what kind of things they're interested in. And that's where you're really using analytics to paint the picture of where they are both in the buyer's journey and in the product journey. And based on that, you have a much clearer understanding of what kind of value would be relevant to them. And so if they've never touched part of the product, which is where you're trying to upsell them, don't try to upsell them there. It wants to be a continuous layer of value. And so in the beginning, it's the hardest because you really have nothing to work with. And so you have to find these variables, the questions you ask, the landing pages they come from, any kind of variable you can work with. But once they've been engaging with the product, and I think this is where tools like Pocus are focusing to help revenue teams identify these mm -hmm. product qualified accounts to really have a holistic understanding of not just the basic demographic and psychographic fit, but they actually have the fit in the product usage. And so they're expanding their feature breadth or they're adopting a certain kind of use case more specifically. So then it's an obvious next step. And, and again, that selling point is you're not trying to sell them. You're just trying to say, hey, you want to unlock more value? And so the whole sales process is completely different. Yeah, I think you make a you know, good distinction there. So let me ask maybe two questions to close on this one. The first one is, on one hand, Yakov, you're saying that make onboarding, make activation so damn easy that they are able to accomplish a particular goal, right? Uh, and I think that's the primary motive of activation. But you also have a blog which is contrary to this. There are some products which are making it tad harder by introducing friction, which means that it should not be so easy to activate there needs to be some friction. So could you maybe tell why is that dissonance in make it easy, but not that easy? The distinction there is, have you defined really well, what's the point that they're going to experience value? Because if you just cut out steps that may make them get to that part of the product quicker, 
but there's now a, a buildup of friction that's happened from them getting there quickly, which is a lack of understanding, a lack of context into why they should take that action, why they should progress in the product. Whereas if you built up and, and asking a question is a point of friction, getting them to perform certain setup actions are points of friction, but sometimes they're necessary to build the momentum that will ultimately lead to the aha moment. And when you separate setup and aha, that's where you're able to identify where's going to be the useful friction. And I think there's another discussion which I was speaking to Carl Poyer about where he posted this whole article about should you ungate your product and, and the ungated product experience. And I was coming from like a point of psychology saying, but when you invest yourself into something, you actually have a deeper relationship with it. So if I can just sign up quickly, use the product in two seconds, I actually have no real attachment to leaving. So I, I like, I don't mind if I leave it. I don't feel like I'm losing anything, but even the act of giving your email already creates like I've invested something, you've given a part of yourself to that. And so deep down in your subconscious, you want to progress. And so the more actions you can get them to take in the product, the more of a subconscious desire they'll have to actually complete that experience. And that's where I have another visual, which is also the same steps that you see in the visual, but it's instead of these really big steps, so the friction is too much, it's small steps with little flags along the way, which is little points of direction and little points of value, because it's not relying on their motivation, it's relying on consistent value. There's a beautiful article on the psychology of selling. I think it was done by like a psych framework for activation by Darius Contractor, wherein if you introduce appropriate frictions right along the way, there is belief that they will stay on. And it has been proven through various mathematical equations, at least at Facebook and various places, that if you introduce appropriate frictions, they feel the urge to stay with you. If not, they feel that the product is extremely cheap or roadside, that you can get away from it and still not have that you know, particular attachment. So that's great. One last question I have before we close on is, building towards PLG seems to be difficult with all the onboarding activation, all the analytics, all of that. If an existing SLG-based company, they are focusing purely on their traditional B2B SaaS companies, they are only SLG-focused at this moment. If you're introducing so many new frameworks to them, and now we're asking them, hey, completely go rebuild your product. That may not be very appropriate for them. So any advice that you might have for, if there's a successful SLG company out there and now they want to get into the PLG space because now they want to, they might have different reasons, maybe to reduce the CAC or maybe to get uh, the long tail set of customers, whatever the reasons might be, how should they get into this? And, and imagine this could be some large cybersecurity companies or some FinTech corporation, and they have tons and tons of modules, tons and tons of features. What advice you might have for them to get started? Yeah, I'd say just if it was a fresh startup, start with one specific use case and test that out until you have some sort of predictability in your acquisition. Because when you have so much value to offer, again, it will be super overwhelming and it's going to be a huge ton of resources to make every part of the product self-servable. So choose one and you can think of this in context of what's the most relevant to the first stage of the user journey and, and use that not as a side product but as a test product to understand if this could become self-servable and then from that you can repeat that same framework 
and just apply it to the different contexts of the user journey. But once you have one use case, one feature that's working, and you have product market fit in a PLG sense there, then it'll be much easier to layer on use cases and to expand that into a, a platform. So maybe your advice is start small, take one feature, one use case by use case, and take it from there. Essentially, what you're saying is build a new team. <laughs> right? you, you definitely and do act need like a, a specific team. Yeah, and act like a startup. So you can't probably go that direction if you have the existing teams itself. So The worst things is companies that just open up their product for free and assume that's going to be self-servable. That's the worst thing you can do because it's going to be just a bad experience. And what happens is you, your product is incredible but it's just not self-servable. So yeah. when users land in the product, they're going to think it's terrible. Yeah. So as we close on this, do you have any examples of major failures that you've seen, either an SLG company trying to go the PLG route or a PLG company not understanding how this needs to be done and they have failed along the way? Any tidbits that maybe if you can scratch your brain, talk about some failures? Yeah, I think that's like the core example. And I'll say it in a funny way from a sales-led perspective where a company will see PLG or a free model as just a, a fishnet to bring in leads for sales to hunt, and this does not mm. work. So a really successful company will think, this is a great revenue hack that we can just open up and everyone's going to want to sign up and then we're going to just shoot fish in the barrel. But <laughs> what really happens is you're getting all these potentially high-quality leads coming into your product and now they think it's useless and they realize it's just a trap because as they sign up, they just get sales emails, sales calls, and it's just not the way to go. So if you're going to open up your product for free, make sure that you're actually going to add real value, that users will have enough that they'll want to come back and do something. And really that value should be repeatable. So it shouldn't just be a once-off experience. That's a nice lead magnet. But if you want a PLG model, then you have to have some sort of value that can be transformed into a consistent workflow. That's a great insight. Add repeatable values. I think that maybe helps close the conversation today. So thank you, Yakov. It was a beautiful conversation today. I learned a lot from this call. I hope that our listeners did as well. Thanks, Yakov. To all the listeners, we will be releasing this particular podcast on a frequent basis around a weekly basis. So if you have any feedback or any new guests that you would like to suggest us, please do reach out to us. And again, thank you for listening. Thank you.